Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming tonight. Um, I just returned from <clears throat> a week-long um, session, week-long retreat, a meditation retreat with my teacher, uh, Shoto Harada Roshi. And so I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about, uh, about him and uh, practice with him. Each um, year, the last few years, he gives us a little book that's made from his talks. His students make up a book that's handmade with nice paper and got several talks on it. This year's is called Zen is the Flow of the Mind. Mind is the Essence of Zen. And we tend to think that somehow that Zen has to do with the form, sitting in straight lines, you know, wearing the particular raksu or different shapes of the things on the altar. But that's just a container for what we talk about, what we really are doing. But what we're really looking at, what we practice is, is the flow of mind, the constant flow, the constant flow of awareness. And what um, Harada Roshi is always, always, always teaching and talking about <clears throat> is what is it that precedes the flow? What is it that's always... What is it that's the source of mind? What is it that's the source of transformation? Uh, what is it that um, thought, where is the place that thoughts come from, that ideas of who we are come from? What is it that is before the story of who we are? So I thought I would read a little bit of this, this latest book and just make some comments on it and explain a little bit to you about him and his teaching. It's definitely part of any teaching that goes on here is definitely influenced by him. I began practicing uh, <clears throat> Zen in 1968 with uh, Philip Kaplow at the Zen Center of Rochester. He was a guy who wrote a book called The Three Pillars of Zen. And I lived at the Zen Center of Rochester on the staff <clears throat> for about, oh, five years or so, five or six years, from 69 to 75. And uh, began doing session, and my first session was August of 1969, a seven-day session with Kaplow. And then I did session with, uh, with Roshi Kaplo, and then uh, after I left the Zen Center of Rochester and got some education, I did session with uh, Mayazumi Roshi, who was the founder of the Zen Center of Los Angeles, and his uh, main student, Gimpo Roshi, and um, one of his main students. In 1984, we moved here to Oregon, Chosen and I did. We began doing session um, at the beginning, just very little short session, but we began doing longer session, seven-day session, once we uh, moved to Larch Mountain in about 1991. And since that time, we've done seven-day session, uh, certainly the last five or six years, 11 of them a, 11 of them a year, 11, 11 long session a year. And uh, before that, we used to do three, four, and five-day session pretty regularly. And in 1990, I began... Uh, studying with Chota Harada Roshi. I saw his picture in the Northwest Dharma News, <clears throat> a little bulletin that came around. I was looking for a teacher, somebody I felt would help me practice more deeply and uh, inspire me. And I saw his picture one year and said, eh, you know, I'm not really interested. The next year I said, eh, something intrigues me about it, and I began going to set in with him. It was the second session he ever did in this country. And so since 1990, uh, I've done session with him at least twice a year, if not six times a year, over the course of the last 17, 17 years. 
Um, so I, I you know, know, him, know him well in terms of, in terms of Sashin and his teaching. And he is an extraordinary teacher, an extraordinary man. He does not speak any English or rudimentary English. I speak less than no Japanese. The Japanese I do speak, Chosen says I pronounce everything incorrectly. So, <clears throat> but he has a number one grade A translator, and he has just an essence, a physical essence, just a way of being that is so potent that is, um, speaks beyond, beyond words. So for me, he's extremely inspiring. And every time I go to him, I come back refreshed and revivified and, and, uh, and including this time. And I thought that uh, to share a little bit of his teaching with you, I'd read some of the comments from this book, Zen is the Flow of Mind, Mind is the Essence of Zen, and just make some comments on them. And this is a little section where he's talking about a sutra. Uh, A sutra is one of the teachings of the Buddha. And this particular one is a teaching called the Platform Sutra of the Sixth Ancestor. The platform is the ordination platform. The Sixth Ancestor was probably about the third century CE in China. And so it's just an ancient, ancient text that's been around and been commented on and is really quite, quite a profound and deep sutra to be experienced. If you try to read the sutra just with the mind, just with the intellectual mind, you quickly turn off. It becomes very quickly meaningless. But when you really read it with the heart and read it with the, the breath and read it with the body, then it has an enormous vitality to it. <clears throat> we tend to think that meditation is a mental activity, and it's not. Meditation is a physical activity. We follow the breath. We follow the body. It's the mind just makes up stories, story after story after story. I like this, I don't like that, this is good, this is bad, this should be done, that shouldn't be done. Just story after story. Our whole lives are stories. But what is before the story? What is the essence that happens before the story? And one of the ways in Zazen that we touch that essence is through the breath. That our breath, which we, we, we are born with, whole and complete, our breath, which we come into this world with, and this body, which we have, in a way, inherited, that we are aware of, is a truth that is more fundamental than the stories we make up about our life. And so, in doing Zazen, we're trying to pay attention to that which is more fundamental than whether the weather is hot or cold, or whether the politics are good or bad, or whether there's peace or war, whether we're happy or sad, or whether our mind has got lots of thoughts in, in it about you know, the way things should be, or how happy we are with the way things are, or our emotion is filled with upset, or our body is healthy, or sick, or we're being born, or we're dying. Before all of that happens, is awareness. And we're doing Zazen, we're not spending time trying to, to make things that is inherently impermanent, that's inherently changing, that's inherently going to go up and down. We're not trying to, to, to focus on that as the essence of our zazen, but to really discover what is it that's always present? What is it that's reliable, whether we're having a good time or a bad time? What is it that when we grow old and when we're sick, that we can find refuge in, that we can find support in, that is independent of whether we're healthy? 
independent of that. And then, of course, out of that comes often great health. So he's commenting on this sutra, which, which I rambled on a little bit beyond the sutra. Um, and so uh, let me read just a little bit of this. Actually, the first sentence, before I read it, I'll have to explain it. Uh, the first sentence is, we cannot deceive the ego. Uh, the ego in, in, the, in, in Zen, the way we're talking about that is the discriminating mind, the mind that always is making up the story about our life. So we're really talking about the story maker in a way, the part that is saying this is good, this is bad, the, judge, the, the, the judger, the part that, is, that is, separates us from everything. So here's what Harada Roshi says. We cannot deceive the ego. We all have it. We have a hard time letting go of it. Yet this ego is what gives us this uncomfortable, insecure feeling. Imagining this, imagining that, making up things that don't exist. We can't even eat our meals thoroughly. We're always anxious. We're like a molted cicadia shell. If we do not know this true essence of ground, we are never certain about what is true. We never really know what's going on. We're never really totally secure. We're never really able to rest. We're irritable, agitated, unable to awaken to our true mind. We ultimately are pulled around by our wandering, gathering duality. But there's no meaning in this life without our feet on the ground. So what is it that's alive? What is it that sits here? What is it that's hearing this talk? What is it that's living? We can't separate our awareness into two. We do that because we are not seeing truthfully what is within. Our dualism is the result of not seeing that clearly. He's so eloquent, I feel embarrassed starting to talk about it. But we live in these stories. Instead of seeing this truth, everything is just our consciousness. There is nothing that we're aware of that's not part of our consciousness. And we're not conscious of anything that's, that's unconscious. <laughs> Everything we see is part of our life, our part of our world. It's all processed in our brain. Everything we hear is processed in our brain. Everything we feel is processed in our brain. In a world, each of us live, in, in a way, each of us lives in this world, our own unique world, which is filled with our consciousness. And yet, out of our confusion and out of our stories, we keep saying, oh, that's not really part of things. Oh, I really don't want to feel that. Oh, that's not okay. Oh, this is... And we just chop our world up. And so what he's saying is, we're not really even eating a whole meal. Oh, I like this part of the meal. I don't like that part of the meal. I like this taste. Oh, I don't really want to taste that. It's all our life. Everything we see is our life. Everything we hear is our life. And so what we're doing with Zazen is we're basically saying, everything is our life. Let me be aware of it. Beyond agreement, let me be aware of my life. Then we can respond to it appropriately. So Zazen is really about, can we experience our life? We're sitting here doing breathing. We're sitting here practicing with one another. And we're not saying, I like this particular feeling. I want to feel that feeling more. I don't like that part of myself. I don't want to feel that. And we cut ourselves into two. It's about, can we sit with awareness of our whole being? Good times, bad times, easy times, hard times. So as we're practicing with Zazen, that awareness cuts, cuts through. 
And it's that awareness, it's the foundation that is common to all of us, all beings. So when we're trying to talk about peace in this world, we can't talk about peace up at the top at the level of duality, at the level of I'm right and you're wrong. We have to talk about in peace, we have to experience peace, we have to experience health down at this fundamental level of our life. This fundamental level that is common to all beings. And that's what Zazen is. It's what is common to all beings all the time we sit with. Always present. That's what Harada Roshi is talking about. That's where our feet have to be on the ground. So he continues, Zazen is not about dividing our awareness into two, into ideas of profit and loss, into gaining and losing. These are ways of looking at phenomena used in society. But if we don't realize that true mind that is the foundation of these, we'll always be moved around. Moved around means we'll always be swayed by the conditions and the wind, and we'll be always be anxious and unsettled and uneasy and dis- diseased. In Buddhism, when we talk about the first noble truth of Buddhism is that uh, there, is, there is dukkha. Dukkha is uh, roughly translated as distress, dis-ease, disharmony, sometimes suffering. And dukkha uh, essentially means that there are three kinds of dukkha that, that we they talk about, three kinds of distress. One kind is the body hurts sometimes. Everybody knows that. It's no big mystery. Second is that when things change, when we're having a really good time and things are going along really well, things are nice and smooth and bright, everybody enjoys it, and then they change, and we are distressed. And the third, the third kind is that everything is just constantly changing. So anything, we finally feel we've got it down. We finally got our job down. We finally got our partner fixed. We've got, finally got our health together. <laughs> it slips out from under us and changes, and that's another kind of distress. So before all those kinds of distress, the mind rests in that which is solid and stable. And so then as things change, we're not thrown by them the same way. We have something to rely upon, something that is fundamental. And that's where we follow the breath, the source of the breath, not our thoughts. Zazen is not a mental process. It's not a mental process of let me get my ideas together. Let me understand this thing. Let me me think this through. It's a matter of can I let go of my stories about my life? And can I feel it directly? Can I feel it directly? Can I feel it with my breath? Can I feel the truth that is right here, right now? Constantly changing. We can't put our finger on and say, that is the truth. As soon as we do that, it's changed. It's already slipped away. And yet each of us has this constant, constant experience of this moment. Let's continue with Harada Roshi just a little bit more here. When we are beginners, we have to work on our breath and our posture, focusing on them to let go of obstructions. That's how we approach it when we start. What it means to be doing zazen with all of the 360 smallest joints, the 84,000 pores, as Mumonekai Roshi tells us, is to tenaciously and kindly give everything we have to not doing it dualistically. 
So when people come to meditation instruction downstairs, and it sounds like they had a great time this evening, based on the laughter, or when we're teaching foundations of meditation, how to sit straight, posture, breath, all that's important. It's a wonderful way of beginning to reduce some of the obstructions that we just cause ourselves over and over and over. It's not fundamental truth. It's not what the truth of, it's not the, what Buddha Dharma is about. Living ethically is essential for the spiritual life. But, but the spiritual life is not about rules and regulations. The spiritual life is about something that's more fundamental, which is expressed ethically. You know, Zazen is not about sitting straight with your legs crossed, or however you have them. It's about something more fundamental than that, which is expressed in doing Zazen. We do this, we can, we can see our life energy. If we think that we can perceive our life energy, we think we can perceive the truth in a relative way, it's a big mistake. It has to be touched directly. It has to be touched with that which is prior to any awareness, any consciousness. The sitting body and the practice being done are one body and one mind in each and every mind moment. We don't chop them up, isolate them, pull them apart. We have to continue in one straight line, and then we realize that that state of mind, no matter where no matter what comes into us, we do not become confused or moved around by it. We have to know that this state, that this place, where from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, we are totally in oneness, becoming it completely. This cannot be done mentally. We have to lose track of any separation between what is doing and what is being done. We have to actualize this. We have to do it to that point where it's not real. In the last paragraph I'm going to read here, it isn't the fault of the teaching if we don't do it to that point. Just as it isn't the fault of the sun if a blind person can't see it. Just because one person can't see it, that doesn't mean the sun isn't shining. We have eyes and ears, and we must use them completely. We can't give in to our own wish to compromise. It's not about doing it for a long time, but about doing it with firm determination, with the intensity of commitment of doing it right now in this very session. If we don't fulfill that commitment, it's our own issue. We take this decision to practice wholeheartedly firmly. It doesn't matter what comes up. No matter what comes up, we can move through it. No matter what comes up, we can move through it. Reality constantly flows. So that's what Zazen is about. It's about not getting stuck, not getting stuck, not getting hung up, but sitting in that truth of our own lives. Things constantly are just flowing through, flowing through. Good times, bad times, hard times, easy times. Flowing through. And so we stay with that flow wholeheartedly. One of the uh, things that I is impressed about, I'm impressed with, among many, of Harada Roshi is he, he goes to India uh, and works with the Dalits. The Dalits are called the untouchables uh, in India. The, the Dalit is the, kind of the PC name. Um, and they're in southern India, in the, and it's hot, apparently. I've been to northern India, which is... Um, India is a unique country in every respect. Southern India, apparently, is you know, it's 120 degrees, and it's really dry, and there are just thousands and thousands of people who are in this class of the Dalits, which is the, the, the classless class of Indian society, which is the bottom of the bottom. And apparently, I was talking to someone this morning who said they have names like shithole digger number one and you know, disgusting son of a dog number two. And they've really, you know, me, the, even the names are, are just untouchable names. 
And so uh, after World War II, this uh, teacher, uh, Ambikar, uh, who was a Dalit, uh, rose up in the Indian government uh, when, when um, uh, India was you know, freed from colonialism by the, by the British. And he became a, uh, an advocate of kind of humanity and humanness for the Dalit, the casteless society. And he looked into his tradition and looked into India and said, well, Buddhism is the tradition that came up 2,500 years ago about this exact same problem in India, that India was this stratified caste society that had this whole group of people that was just uh, pariahs, that was, was outcast. And the Buddhism came in, and Buddhism basically says, Everybody, regardless of caste, is a human being. Everybody, regardless of caste, is, has the potential for awakening. There is no one who is somehow deficient in this fundamental truth. So uh, one of uh, Harada Roshi's main students who's been practicing with him for many years, Bodhi, Bodhi Dharma is his actual name. Bodhi is a Dalit who lives in southern India, and Harada Roshi goes to the Dalit um, towns in southern India, and he was just there a few weeks ago. And he, I drove someone to the airport who travels with him, and he says that he gets off the plane after traveling, you know, for you know, 20 hours, however long it takes to get there, and he's picked up in this rickety old car that hasn't any headlights and no windows and has cardboard seats, and they then travel for 36 hours straight, just stopping for gasoline, so they come to these little villages where he's, he's holding these retreats. And he says hundreds of people come because the, the, and they'll drive into this little town made of mud and sticks. Hundreds of people will be there. To hear Harada Roshi just really talk from his deep, deep, deep conviction of his own direct experience of truth that every single person has the, the, the dignity of, uh, of truth, the dignity of awakening, the possibility of enlightenment. And that he does retreats in these towns and has you know, thousands of students that are coming um, to, hear that, to hear that message. And of course that's a message that's true for all of us. That we all, regardless of our history, regardless of our shape, regardless of our state of mind, have this ability to be whole and complete, to really realize that directly. Well, Harada Roshi is, is working with the Dalits in India trying to just plant that core truth, awaken that core truth. Because if he awakens that core truth, then all sorts of things will flow out of that. And it's one of his ways of trying to help the situation in India. So anyhow, he's um, a challenging and um, anything but a fun and easy teacher. But he is my definite teacher, and I've worked with him for many years. And he is happy to push you right to your complete limits any way he possibly can, because we, there's always possibility beyond it. And I encourage all of you to do Sishin. There is nothing like Sishin. There's nothing like long meditation retreats where you really spend time dropping, 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 dropping the story, dropping the story, dropping the story, and seeing what is true. What is this dignity that each person has in their life that's beyond story, it's beyond age, 
It's beyond whether we're smart or dull. It's beyond whether we're man or woman. It's beyond whether we're making it in life or not making it in life. But to really see that directly is deeply inspiring. Not that somebody else can say it for us, nor somebody else can do it for us. Each of us has to embody and see this truth for ourselves. And when we touch even a little bit of that, then our, we have deep faith begins to arise. And in Buddhism, that's what we talk about. Faith is not so much faith in the teachings or the teacher, but faith that if we practice and we actually touch this experience of wholeness, we actually touch this truth that is our life, then from that place, a deep faith begins being cultivated. Which is, unless we start thinking too much, is pretty, um, pretty unshakable. We can think ourselves into anything, though. Thank you all very much.